I'm Jackie Miller, certified divorce coach, divorce transition and recovery coach, and high conflict divorce coach, as well as your host of this podcast, Out of Crazy Town, your guide to divorcing a narcissist. Divorce can take many paths, one of those being hiring a private judge to mediate your divorce. Today, I have guest Commissioner Jill S. Robbins, who has 50 years of experience, 10 of those being as a judicial family law officer, and 26 of those years being a private judge. Commissioner Robbins will explain what a private judge is, what they do, and give some advice on navigating the divorce process. Hello, Commissioner Robbins. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast, Out of Crazy Town, your guide to divorcing a narcissist. <laughs> um, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Uh, it is my pleasure. Um, if there's anything that I can tell your, uh, your readers or your listeners um, to help them through the process, I'm certainly happy to do that. Awesome. Well, I want to tell everyone a little bit about you first. Uh, Commissioner Jill S. Robbins has practiced family law for almost 50 years, including 10 years as a judicial family law officer and 26 years as a private judge. She is one of the most sought after private judges in Southern California and has been named one of the top neutrals in Southern California or in, in all of California by the Los Angeles Daily Journal. Commissioner Robbins has successfully settled thousands of family law cases, navigating the most difficult and high conflict cases to their optimal conclusion, as well as simple and more normal cases. She has an outstanding reputation for getting couples to the finish line. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> well, I guess you would know that, huh? Yes. Um. So I want, the first question I want to ask you is, what is a private judge? Because I love the term. It is, you're almost an enigma. It sounds like you're up in a castle somewhere and rich people get to go to you. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes that's the case. Um, so we used to be called, when I first retired, um, the, the wording was rent a judge, which I just thought was abhorrent. I, I, I said, there's, there's no way I'm going to be a rent a judge. No. So eventually with enough pressure, the terminology became private judge. So as a private judge, I do what I did when I was on the bench, but parties, lawyers hire me to do, whether it's a trial or uh, a mediation mm -hmm. or discovery or case management, whatever it is, they hire me to do that. Okay. And they have my undivided attention. Great. And so I want to get a little bit more to how they will find you in a minute, but I'm curious how your career led you here to being a private judge. Oh, that's such a long story. Um, I'll, I'll try and make it really 50 years bad. worth. I see. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it'll be. Yeah. I mean, the zoom makes you look about 30 years younger. So that's so awesome. So great about it. Um, so I was a criminology major, a minor in college. I went to UC Berkeley. And I thought I wanted to work in the probation department. So at 21, I was placed um, in Whittier on the 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. shift. Um, I said, that's not happening. So I ditched that idea. And then I had nothing. So I volunteered to work for Neighborhood Legal Services. And while I was doing that, the um, attorney in charge said, why don't you go to law school? I said, well, I've always wanted to go to law school. I just couldn't bear going to law school right after college. Uh, Eventually I applied. I said, if I get in, I'll go. If I pass, I'll stay. If I pass the bar, then I got serious. So at that point, um, I then became a lawyer. Wow. So, and then after 14 years in family law, 
um, I became uh, a judicial officer because I loved settling cases. I thought it was kind of a nice combination of my various skills. Yeah. So that's, okay. that's the short story. Okay. And then I want, so I want to talk about the different kinds of cases you settle, because I know one thing that can be very confusing to folks out there that may just be starting on this journey. You'll start to hear mediation. You'll start to hear like settlement conference. Let's just take those two to start. What are the difference between those two things? I think you have more protection if you call it mediation, if it's mediation. And there's, there's a whole dispute as to whether certain code sections apply to voluntary settlement conferences as opposed to mediation. And then there's even some question as to whether the, the guiding light, which is um, evidence code 1152, even applies to family law, although everybody thinks it does. So I think you use the word mediation just because it may give you a little extra protection. But they're conducted basically the same. Okay. Depending and, on who you choose. and what do you mean by protection? Confidentiality. So uh. that um, if one makes an offer during the mediation, um, you can't use that. Okay. And I was going to bring that up later, but I'm glad you said it now. That's definitely something I think that that is unknown. You go into the mediation sort of process and if things don't fall, fall through, but if they use commissioner Robbins, they most likely will go through. <laughs> With the, what is it? Call me Jill, Jackie. Call me Jill. Oh, okay, Jill, Thank Jill. You. Because you have, is it a like a 99% success rate or something? No, it's not that high. It's probably okay. 92%. Oh, okay. 92, 92. Pretty darn high. Um, oh. But that is such a good point because it behooves people to enter that process to get it done because you cannot use what happens. Is that correct? Well, and, and in addition, what, what I always recommend lawyers do is, is be very clear in writing that, that this is mediation and Nothing can be disclosed sometimes, you know, except documents you would ordinarily get anyway. Sure. But, you know, if you, you just, you, you can't use mediation as a, as a shield. Right. So if, if there's documents that would, that you would see regardless, whether it's tax returns or whatever, that's not really subject to the confidentiality. Um, sure. That we're talking about. Right. That has, has to be um, turned over regardless. And so what is mediation or a settlement conference or sometimes called VSC, Voluntary Settlement Conference? What does it look like these days with Zoom? How does that work? It looks great. It is, um, it's such to me, such an easier way of working. And lawyers at first were very concerned that the personality of the mediator wouldn't come through, that, for example, with me, um, I do looks sometimes when I'm talking to a lawyer and I don't like what they're saying. I'll put my glasses on and I'll give a look or whatever. So a lot of people were afraid that, that the judicial officer's personality or the lawyer's personality, if it's a lawyer mediator, mm -hmm. um, would not come through and it wouldn't be as effective. And I have found it's just as effective. And the great thing is um, I go really between uh, Orange County Ventura, Santa Barbara, kind of all over mm -hmm. Southern California. And, and no one has to pay me to drive. I don't have to drive. I right. get up when I'm done. If anyone wants, if I want a snack, I go get a snack. I, I just, it's, it's a more comfortable way. I think yeah. of doing things. it seems and, just so much more efficient. Like you said, people aren't traveling. I got to tell you, this is a total side note, but uh, being in a car when you are so nervous heading to something like that out on the freeway or down to a courthouse or even to another attorney's office, don't get in your car if you don't have to. I think it sounds fantastic. 
Yeah, I, I love it. And I, I really think that it is going to be the wave of the future. I, I do think that people are going to just opt at times to do Zoom, even when this pandemic is over, whenever that sure. may be. And so how do people find you? Uh, do do just does your average citizen contact you or is it their attorney usually? How does it happen? Um, it's usually the attorney. I mean, there's there's different kinds of mediators. So maybe I should go into that a little bit. Yes, um, please. There are lawyer mediators who are less expensive than private judges. And for a lot of cases, a lot of more simple cases or a lot of cases where the parties both know what's going on and they have a good relationship, uh, they can do just fine with a lawyer mediator and um, some consulting on the side because mm -hmm. I don't think anyone should sign a deal without consulting with an attorney. Um, I, I don't want the attorney to blow their deal right? Uh, unless there's a really good reason to do that. But, but sometimes people are more generous because they just want it done. And sometimes people will take less because they just want it done. Or don't understand the ramifications of a decision. Well, they you need know, long-term. That's where the consulting lawyer comes in um, to explain the ramifications long-term. So, so there's that group. And some of the lawyer mediators are very experienced and handle more complex cases. How do they get to me? Uh, through the lawyers. Nor well, actually, most through the lawyers, and sometimes someone will call and they got my name from their friend down the street uh, who mediated with me. So there was a period of time where I did, I think, almost the entire block in Sherman mm. Oak. Wow. There were four or five, it was like, like divorce row. So, um, you know, one recommended me to another, and then they, they asked their lawyers and whatever. Mostly sure. know the lawyers every once in a while. I'll have a lawyer I haven't worked with. Yeah. So, okay. You, tell me a little bit about your style because I know you know you you're pretty successful at getting high conflict cases to the finish line, but you know you do the whole the whole spectrum. Um, what's your sort of style or like where you know how do people work with you best or what do you what are you good at? I don't know that you'll be smiling when I tell you, but but first let me distinguish between two types of of mediators. There's there's the um, softer touch facilitator who works with the parties to eventually get them to an agreement, but they're not like pushy generally. On the other hand, I am direct, evaluative, opinionated, aggressive, assertive, and those are the nice things people say about me. So that's how I do things. Um, if it's a custody case, I allow parties to vent. Um, if it's a property division, I allow parties to vent. I mean, it still doesn't prevent the parties from talking to me and telling me, you know, the backstory that I might need to know or they want me to know. But at the same time, I don't just sit back and wait for everybody to get to the result on their own time. And hopefully you wouldn't. And to those out there listening, that's such an awesome thing because you want the ball to keep rolling and you need someone to sort of go, eh, we're getting off the beaten path here. Let's keep focused. I've done this a million times. I know if we keep rambling, we're not going to get what you want done today. So yes, I would, I would love that in, in my private judge, I would think. And I, it sounds to me, like you said, you can do have the soft approach. You can have both your attorneys there. They're each kind of sticking up for you or your side, you know, whichever side they're on. But you need someone super experienced has kind of seen it all because I am sure you read cases that are so complicated and you've got to have all those details. 
ready to go, right? And I want you to quote for me, what's your statistic that you do when you do your intro and when you're first starting a, a conference which, or- a, Which one of my various statistics? It's something like the, on a good day, I did X amount oh, of cases. Okay. So when I was on the bench, this is, why, this is why I left the bench to become a private judge or a rented judge at that time. When I was on the bench, a good day was, was 10 cases. A bad day was 30. I mean, 30 cases. And, 30 in a day. And if you're a crazy person like I am, who has to be totally prepared, totally, um, there was a lot to do. And a lot of people who were unrepresented who wanted me to be their judge. And I just couldn't take it anymore. At the beginning, they couldn't have paid me um, at all. And I would have been happy to be on the bench. And at the end, I would have said they couldn't pay me enough to stay on the bench because yeah. it just got so crazy. Sure, so sure. That's the statistic, maybe. Right. Well, and so, and then back to my point, that is a huge benefit to hiring someone like you because, you know, you've got the experience, you've seen it all, you keep things rolling. You, I would imagine, what's your, what are your tactics when you're working with different personalities? How do you get, do you go, you go room to room? Is that right? You create Zoom rooms. I create Zoom rooms or, the, or breakout rooms. Whatever yeah. You, want. Um, you know, it, it's tough. I mean, a lot of times I'll know both lawyers and we'll have dealt with them um, forever. And so I know, so I know that um, these two lawyers are like kind of bottom line negotiators. So I have an idea if, if this one's here and this one's there, I, I don't have a ton of room, but I've got room. Okay. And then there's the other ones who ask for the moon and the other side has nothing to give. And so those are the ones you have to gradually get to a point where you can settle. But I don't always know that. I can, I can usually get a feel towards the beginning because I, I meet with the lawyers and the forensic accountants if there are accountants okay. alone. So I can get some idea. I don't want to reinvent the wheel. If they've had settlement discussions, I don't want to start bringing up my own. But then I get an idea of what, what's really going on. Okay. And the other thing I would mention, Jackie, that I think is really important, and that is people should select attorneys. If, if they have attorneys, they need to interview. They need to select someone who is, is really good at litigation, but at the same time has a bent for settlement and is interested in settlement and just doesn't want to take the case all the way. That's important. And also an attorney who will let the client do what he or she wants. Some clients just want it over. And so yeah. they'll give they'll give more. Right. They'll take less. That goes right. back to give more, take less. And you don't want your attorney constantly saying to you, hey, don't do that. Um, it, it's great if the attorney says to you, don't do that, and here's why. But then you you need to make your informed decision and know that you have a lawyer who will back you up. That is a very good point. I Because I wanted to ask you what you feel an individual can do to really prepare before they come to a settlement conference. Because I know that just really understanding what you need, doing all of the homework before you come in to really understand what you need to move on in life and focus forward is so important because otherwise you're just spinning your wheels in the conference and you don't know what you're settling for. So what would you recommend individuals do? Well, actually, I think someone like you would be great, truly. No, no, I mean that. I mean that Thank because um, lawyers can say here, you know, here's a list of documents I need you to gather if you're doing it informally. And if the client doesn't really understand what 
was going on because sometimes people just don't explain things in a way that lay people can understand. So right. somebody like you to help to help with all that, I think is critical. Um, also a financial person, depending yeah. on your assets. If you have a lot of assets, then you may want someone to give you advice on, on how you could balance out your portfolio, what kind of income you would have, et cetera. I mean, those are the high asset cases. Yeah, and then sure. there's the low asset cases that I handle because sometimes um, lawyers have been going to court trying to get a, a hearing on a simple issue and they can't get heard. So then they'll hire me for two or three hours to get the case settled or to hear it, make yeah. a decision. But then you're done and you're not going back to court 10 times waiting. Right. And so, and when you do your settlement conferences, um, correct me if I'm wrong, you record everything as it's going. When it's done, you, how does that work? I record the, nothing. Or I'm sorry, not record. Record's the wrong word. Explain to me how it works like when you're like at the end of the conference and you, you feel you've reached a settlement. I, I'm one of the few, although I think there might be one or two others who actually do a deal memo. So when we have an agreement, I will type up a two to three page deal memo that goes through everything that's been agreed upon. And typically there might be what we call a balance sheet that's attached that has all the assets and who's getting what. Mm -hmm. And it'll have support, who's paying, how much, um, division of other property that, that might not be on the balance sheet, uh, things like that that go into an agreement that can be enforced. Everybody signs it. And if for some reason, there's a problem getting a judgment done, you can take your deal memo and, and go with it. Okay. But it has to include language. It has to include language that says it's enforceable under 664.6. That's okay. the code section. Okay. So, so they leave you, they've agreed, they'd sign off on it there. And those major points that they've all agreed to are enforceable then. Yeah, but then the, then there's the hard work because then the lawyers prepare a judgment based on the deal memo, and the deal memo is not all inclusive. So there's lots of boilerplate stuff. There's you know, people have different ways of drafting. So you have one lawyer that always says she and he, and the other lawyer always says he and she. I mean, just all kinds yes. of stuff like that 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 create or can create some difficulties um, with the judgment. Yeah. But then sometimes I'm brought in to say, hey guys, do this, do that, whatever. Okay, that and, and I, just understand. I'm one of many. Uh, there are there are others who do what I do. Sure, uh, we all have we all have different styles. We yes. all have different hourly rates. But the client has to be comfortable um, with the mediator. If you're not comfortable with the mediator, if you don't establish a rapport with the mediator, mm -hmm. it's not going to work. Right, well, some of them work even. When you know, sure. Them. But so. it's still better. Well. In my opinion, it's still better than going to litigation, being in front of a judge, because oh. you you get to at least also as a client. Again, tell me if I'm wrong, or you know, one of the parties, you get to talk a little, right? Invent and and do you know, kind of tell your side of the story if you feel that's important. That's an aspect of this that I think is people need to know because you get in front of a judge, you say nothing, your attorney does all the talking, right? And you just well, live with what they decide. You might be testifying. True. You know, that can't um, be fun. Yeah, no, it can't be fun because you can get tripped up easily, even when you don't intend to be tripped up and then you don't look so good. But but there's three main reasons people should go into uh, a mediation. Um, the first is certainty. I mean, you don't you don't ever get certainty when you walk in a courtroom and when you're dealing with children um, and, and literally it can take a day or two. If, if the parents are fighting about everything. 
mm -hmm. uh, regarding child custody, it, it can take a day or two to get that part done. But you're done, and the parties have then uh, created the input for their own agreement. I mean, you don't want someone in a black robe who doesn't know you telling you when you're going to see your children or what time they're coming back from dinner or whether they can go out of state. Well, right now things are a lot different, but, sure. but normally. Um, so there's the certainty. There's the emotional peace component. So, again, that's something, you know, pay more, take less to get right. peace that you're done. And the third and insignificant factor is the cost of litigation. So it's expensive. Yeah. Sometimes you're fighting over something that will be totally lost by the time you spend the money for attorney fees. So you have right. to consider all of that. There's a massive cost to go to court. Sure. Yeah, but, you know, if there's not enough money on the table um, from either side, that may be the alternative. Right. Right. Well, this has just been so enlightening because like I said, I think this whole process is overwhelming, obviously for people going into divorce and confusing. And like I said, there's so many different versions of mediation, settlement, you know, a conference and, um, and whatnot. And so just hearing some background and from you and someone like you and how you got there. And I, you just have an excellent reputation, like I said, and even though you may, uh, you're, you're real assertive with your, <laughs> with your opinions and how you conduct your settlement conferences, I, you know, I would think that would be the way to go. You don't want EBS. I mean, I know some people need a little warm and fuzzy, but. <laughs> well, you know, I do the warm and fuzzy too, but, but there are, no, but a lot of people just, it's, it's not complicated. Then you can sit down with someone and just work it out. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need somebody like me. Well, and I guess where I'm also going with that is there is no emotional justice in court. None. So, and and we talk a lot about how if you can treat your divorce as a business decision and you know and that's where i kind of come in and and i feel very passionate about what i do is because i do like to walk people through how they can leave the emotion to the side and just focus on what they need and they want for their future so well and, and something you can recommend too is i i think i mean there are people who don't believe in therapists but but i still, I still oh yes i still think that having a therapist involved if you're 100% so emotionally Vested in what's yes. going on could be way helpful. Way yes. helpful. I 100% agree. I am not a therapist. I always recommend people get a therapist. Um, I, it may help you focus on your future, but yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's very important. So, Jill, one last question for you. I ask every guest, and it is what does either an individual or a couple have to look forward to when they get done with this process and they're finally on the other side? Okay, so you're on the other side, you have a judgment. So you need to look forward to implementing the judgment, which means making sure the accounts are divided, making sure you're paying support when you should or getting support when you should, uh, making sure your children, if you have children, are taken care of, knowing what the schedule is and knowing you can't just arbitrarily decide to keep one or two children an hour or two later. Mm -hmm. I think for many, many people with custody issues that having a parenting plan therapist who can meet with them is critical yep. because some of the things that I see post-judgment on custody issues, just crazy, just yeah. crazy. People fighting over 6.30 PM, 7.30 PM return. Um, if I want an extra day, how do I get my extra day? And can I make up a day if I miss a day? There's just so many 
things that develop. And if people, if people want them to continue to develop, they will. But I have a belief that if you are able to resolve your case amicably, well, maybe not so amicably, but if you're able to resolve it, mm-hmm. that you will continue to be able to resolve it. Right. So, and again, the importance of doing something like mediation, because again, at least there's a little more of a conversation happening between the couple. And if you can sort of put this big chunk to rest, eventually come to an agreement. I have, you know, hear a lot of feedback then, wow, all of a sudden we kind of started talking a little like, like, you know, it was weird. It was over all of a sudden, you know, a lot of the um, conflict was gone. And so, yeah, I think that there's a little, you know, peace of mind to be had, obviously. I think what you said is absolutely correct. Absolutely. And also if, if one party does something nice, that's, that can engender uh, a return favor. Yeah. So, so it, it, just because you are no longer together does not mean um, that you can't be respectful of each other. Right. Right. It is, it is definitely the goal as you move forward in life. And I really appreciate you being on the podcast today. It's been so helpful and informational for everyone. And that's our goal here. My goal is to just uh, reduce anybody's anxiety out there that's going through this process. That's going to take a while, Jackie. You're not yeah. going to be by a podcast. I'm like, I would like to think you can. This much. <laughs> Maybe this much. Baby Maybe. steps still. Baby steps. <laughs> I think they should read your blog because I, I mean, I was reading some of the articles you wrote. I mean, they're quite informative. Quite Thank informative. you. Thank you. Well, they can go to JackieMillerCoaching.com. All right. Well, thank you again, Jill. Happy New Year to you. Well, and to you, I think 2021 has to be better. Oh, it has to be. I'm just, I'm not accepting anything less. (laughs) And I'm not not either. So wear a mask. Yes. Social distance. Wash your hands. Let's get this over with. It's done. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Thanks again, Jill. And uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye.